Welcome to another edition of the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Newman, Associate Editor. Before we get started, let's take some time to thank our sponsor. Solving the soil health puzzle? Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality, soil-first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil-first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com. Or call 800-356-SEED. Big thank you to Dr. Aaron Silva, Associate Professor of Organic and Sustainable Cropping Systems at the University of Wisconsin for joining us on this week's edition of the Cover Crop Strategies podcast. So there's a lot going on at the university's Arlington Research Station, and Dr. Silva is here to break down all the big developments, including a look at how winter triticale is being used as a cover crop. We'll also discuss new research on cover crop no-till corn systems. We'll talk about the potential benefits of interseeding into soybeans, getting covers established early, and much more. All right, Dr. Silva, let's start with your background. Let's get the Dr. Silva origin story. Do you have a farming background? What got you interested in agriculture? Well, thank you for having me on the podcast today. I I did not grow up with a farming background. I I grew up as a suburban kid, um, grew up outside of Boston, uh, but I did grow up in an area where I was surrounded by a lot of um, undeveloped land. Uh, so did have an appreciation for the natural landscape and being outdoors. And as I moved into uh, pursuing a degree at the university, uh, really wanted to to focus the work I was doing on um, the, the natural environment and, and working outdoors and fell into agriculture by accident, quite honestly, by having the opportunity to, to work in a laboratory at, in the horticulture department at UW-Madison and realized through my work there that farming and the work that farmers do have a profound impact on our landscape and the ability for farmers to positively impact our natural lands and our environment is tremendous. So pursued agriculture as a way to to bring together that passion of working outdoors and and working to uh, be a steward of the environment and bring that together with, with food production and the amazing work that farmers do. And so now at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, you direct uh, research on no-till organic practices. So how did you get into that and kind of give us an update on and what you guys are working on at the moment? Yeah, so it's been a long journey into no-till organic for me. Prior to, to coming on to UW-Madison in a faculty position, I was working at New Mexico State University, and that was quite a different environment down in, in New Mexico. Uh, it was a very arid environment. Uh, there uh, was a lot of... Uh, you know, open soil um, between cash crop planting and irregularly experienced uh, events where you could visually see soil moving across the, the highway and, and the, the tremendous loss of those valuable soil resources. 
So while I was working down in New Mexico, started to explore how could we use cover crops to essentially armor our field and protect our, our soil and began work in cover crop based no-till and not necessarily in an organic context, although we did look at multiple ways of, of managing those cover crops through the use of herbicides to terminate cover crops, as well as uh, winter killing those cover crops during the, the, the colder periods throughout the winter. Uh, but as I moved to a position at UW-Madison, more specifically focused on organic, I saw that a, through the work of the Rodale Institute and through other pioneering research programs that there was a, a great opportunity to translate those cover crop-based uh, reduced tillage practices into organic production systems to, to mitigate one of the more challenging aspects of organic production, particularly with respect to soil stewardship, the tillage and cultivation that's needed for weed management. I actually read on your website, the, the Wisconsin website, that Wisconsin has the second highest number of organic farms in the U.S. and ranks third in total organic acres. Just from your point of view, why do, why do you think that trend has really caught on here in Wisconsin? Wisconsin has been a national leader in organic for, for decades now. And even prior to the uh, rollout of the National Organic Program in 2002, uh, Wisconsin had a really a, a strong, strong history in, in organic farming, uh, including the uh, evolving uh, of the Organic Valley um, Crop Cooperative uh, that really started um, a, a even a, you know a, a decade more prior to the National Organic Program, and I think there's a, a variety of reasons for that. Um, you know, Wisconsin in general, as we hit Earth Day <laughs> today, that's right, um, has had a long history in environmental stewardship with Governor Nelson, uh, who founded founded Earth Day. Uh, so that I think there's been just that long history of, of environmental consciousness uh, in Wisconsin. We've always had a, a very diverse agricultural landscape here, still do, where we have you know, dairy farms and livestock farms, grain farms, vegetable farms. And that integration of, of livestock is, and that access to manure really strengthens the opportunity for organic farming we have smaller farms here, partly by nature of our landscape. We, we typically have a bit hillier landscape where there isn't necessarily as uh, much of an opportunity for, for larger, flatter fields like we do in other areas of the Corn Belt. And we have a winter. <laughs> we definitely have a winter here in Wisconsin, which really benefits organic farming as it helps break up pest and disease cycles. So I think there's, there's kind of a confluence of factors that have led to Wisconsin uh, being a continued leader in the organic sphere. Yeah, definitely a long winter. I mean, it was snowing the other day here in late April. <laughs> And, uh, and then it was 60 degrees the other day, and now it's pouring rain. So I don't know how much work you've been able to get done this week, but <laughs> what type of cover crop trials are you currently working on at the Arlington Research Plots? Well, we're doing quite a lot of work looking at different aspects of, of managing uh, organic no-till. We're continuing some innovation with respect to uh, 
cover crop based no-till and soybeans, which is the phase of the crop rotation where we've had the most consistent success using uh, terminated cover crops to to suppress weeds and reduce or eliminate really the, the need for cultivation for weed management. Um, trying a few different new spins on that research um, using triticale as a cover crop, winter triticale that was planted last fall. And actually, instead of roller crimping that crop, we will be uh, harvesting that crop as um, a haylage uh, in mid-May and still not disturbing those fields, but then drilling soybeans directly into that triticale stubble. So uh, uh, be uh, on the lookout for, for those results. And if you're interested, certainly can come to our field day this summer at Arlington. Uh, trying some new work with no-tilling spring cereal grains into alfalfa, using alfalfa as a, as a kind of a living cover crop and, and doing some suppression methods for alfalfa and, and trying to uh, establish spring grains into that crop. Uh, doing work, continuing uh, our efforts to develop cover crop-based no-till uh, corn systems. So looking at ways through fertility management and management of both terminated covers, vetch and, and cereal rye, as well as a, a living cover of, of red clover to uh, get adequate weed suppression as, as well as uh, attain our target yields for corn. Um, and then finally, we're doing quite a bit of work with interseeding. So looking at ways to interseed cover crops into soybeans so that we can eliminate the need for cultivation and the soil disturbance events after soybean planting, as well as uh, looking at ways to successfully interseed cover crops into corn at about the V3 stage. So again, eliminating some of the soil disturbance passes that are needed for weed management and getting earlier establishment of diverse cover crops uh, so we don't have to rely on our, our shorter uh, growing degree days after corn harvest. So lots of cool things going on. Yeah, you have a lot going on, it sounds like. It's interesting you uh, brought up interseeding because I actually just did a podcast with Dean Weichman, a, a farmer out here uh, in Wisconsin recently, and he he talked about interseeding. So for our listeners, what exactly is it and, and what kind of benefits could you see from it? Yeah, um, so interseeding is a practice where we're looking at ways to establish cover crops, whether it's single species or diverse mixes earlier in the season so that we're able to get those cover crops established and already have them germinating, root systems putting put down uh, and, and established uh, prior to, to corn harvest. And one of the challenges we face here with respect to diverse cover crop systems in Wisconsin is that upon harvesting corn, uh, whether it be for, for silage or grain, I mean, that typically is not happening until September or even October, which really doesn't allow a lot of time for diverse cover crops to establish. Now, cereal rye, we have a pretty wide window in terms of when we can plant that seed and, and still uh, be, have a reliable uh, cover crop established. But when we're looking at adding diversity and, and putting in legumes uh, or brassicas, uh, it really that that planting date of late September and October is just really too late to get anything established. 
So if we can get those cover crops established earlier, uh, that offers a, a really a, a wide, wide range of different options. And that allows us to have that soil protected you know, as soon as that cash crop of corn is, comes off the field. So a lot of the research related to interseeding uh, emerged from uh, the, the East Coast or the Mid-Atlantic region. And Penn State University has been a leader in this research and even has you know, developed specific equipment to allow for, for interseeding. But you know, that research uh, had led to recommendations of planting the, the cover crop at about the, the V4, V5 stage of corn. And when we, we saw that recommendation brought out to the Midwest and Wisconsin, what we typically saw was that planting that late, the cover crop didn't get enough uh, sunlight reaching down into the corn canopy to really allow for good establishment and a good root system to be put down. So, so even if that cover crop seed germinated, it typically disappeared by the end of the summer. So a lot of this came through uh, farmer innovation and including uh, with uh, you know, a lot of uh, farmer-led watershed groups and a lot of the innovative farmers that we have throughout the state and the crop consultants working with those farmers. Um, they saw that pushing the planting date a little bit earlier, so more towards the V3 stage of corn, allowed for a, a longer window for sunlight to reach down into that canopy and allow those cover crops to establish and allow for better persistence of those cover crops after harvest. Uh, so that's been an area of continued research that, that we've been engaged in and in great partnership with farmers across the state that have uh, put um, partnering trials out on their farms. So still have to keep looking at that data and, and seeing how uh, sound that recommendation might be across the, the diverse regions throughout the state. But it's been really exciting to see, again, all this farmer innovation happening with, with interseeding and, and seeing how we might be able to adapt that system, particularly to our Wisconsin climate. We'll get back to the podcast in just a second, but once again, let's thank our sponsor. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality, soil-first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil-first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com, or you can call 800-356-SEED. Now, back to the podcast. And you've done a, a lot of research on understanding how to no-till soybeans directly into a living rye cover crop. Um, let's talk about that. What are, what are some of the keys to making that system work? Yeah, and I think there's a couple different ways we can look at that system. And it's been great to see the emergence of, of more research coming out of UW-Madison, particularly out of Dr. Rodrigo's Worley's lab, that have looked at you know what are some additional options we might have for management in conventional systems where we have herbicides as an additional tool for management. So, you know, as we're looking at uh, cover crop based no-till and rolling rye and organic systems where we're really, um, you know, entirely reliant on that cover crop being our weed management tool. So we don't have chemical options to, uh, you know, 
layer on top of, of the, the cover crop as our primary weed suppressing mechanism. So in order to completely rely on that cover crop and eliminate the need for, for herbicides or chemical termination, there's a few key things that, that we need to consider. Uh, first is that we found um, not only within Wisconsin, but across other regions as well that have, have really led in, in some of this research, as well as farmer experience, that we need to get that cereal rye cover crop planted early. And as I just mentioned with uh, some of the challenges with interseeding and uh, the, the benefits of, of cereal rye as an option um, to be planted later in the fall, we know that cereal rye can certainly germinate and establish even with later planting dates um, into October, November, and I've heard even into December. But the problem there is that we don't get the degree of tillering we need to get the adequate weed suppression in a cover crop based no-till system. So even though we know we can plant cereal rye later, if we're using it in a, a cover crop based no-till system and we want to completely eliminate herbicides, we need to plant that cereal rye early. So in most of Wisconsin, we're talking the middle of September, which is, is challenging in the face of designing a crop rotation that will allow for that earlier planting date. So oftentimes to, to make this system work, we, we have to change our crop sequence of, of how we're thinking about you know, planting our, our crops and in which order. And we typically need to have some cereal grain in the rotation. So you know, whether that be an oat crop or a winter wheat crop, we, we need to look at putting some crop into the crop rotation where we can get uh, an earlier harvest of that cash crop and an earlier planting of that cereal rye cover crop. Uh, the other key with respect to getting enough biomass for weed suppression is planting at a heavier seeding rate. Um, oftentimes when we're planting cereal rye as a cover crop, we might be planting at a rate of about you know, a bushel per acre, but we, we want to raise that seeding rate to closer to three bushel an acre um, in order to, to, again, get the biomass to achieve complete weed suppression. We need to have that ground completely covered. Um, even before we roll and crimp that cover crop, you know, as we, we look into the beginning of April and see that cereal rye cover crop start to green up, we really want to see very limited bare soil. We want to see a, a basically what looks like a green lawn of, of cereal rye. So that heavier seeding rate. And then finally, we need to terminate that cover crop at the right time. So again, this is a different shift in mindset. Uh, we need to wait till a stage called anthesis where those cereal grains are flowering. Uh, you can visually see the pollen being shedded from those rye heads. And in Wisconsin, that stage is typically not reached until about Memorial Day. So that is quite a delay in planting as, as compared to uh, you know, a typical um, soybean uh, cash crop, especially in a conventional production system. It's not so different with organic production. So there's not that much of a, a change in practice there. But in conventional systems, it certainly is later. So that's where we can look at perhaps other options with respect to management around termination of seeding the cover uh, of the soybeans earlier into standing rye at about the boot stage and then terminating the cereal rye a little bit later, again, at anthesis if we're solely relying on mechanical termination. 
are looking at how we can integrate uh, herbicide-based tools to augment the, the termination, the mechanical termination of the rye, or potentially look at using those herbicides to uh, account for perhaps a, a later cereal rye planting date or a lighter cereal rye seeding date. So I think there's a lot of different opportunities for continued innovation in this space and seeing how we can uh, integrate both conventional and uh, organic tools to to create a, a system that gives us the benefit of these high biomass cover crops and additional mode of action for uh, weed management, but but yet brings all the tools available to the table. What about no-tilling corn into a cover crop? What are some issues with that? Are there any new developments on that front? And is, is there potential for that system to work? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that that uh, the the challenges with uh, rolling rolling cover crops and mechanically terminating cover crops and establishing corn, um, it, those challenges still persist. Uh, in, in even within uh, you know lower biomass uh, planting systems in in conventional agriculture, there's a lot of interest in planting green um, and and planting into a living cover crop and doing later termination. But as compared to soybeans, we've, we've seen continued inconsistencies in the performance of the corn crop when, when integrating those management strategies. Uh, some of that seems to center around fertility management. And we, we've certainly seen that within our organic uh, rural crimp systems using corn that the, the corn is much more sensitive to to nitrogen tie up and and looking at ways that we can ensure that we're applying N to meet corn demand that's that's not being tied up by those high seed end ratio cover crops or um, the, the the uptake of of nitrogen by those cover crops. So you know, how can we through um, you know can side dressing and continued as you know precision application of, of nitrogen to in these systems be able to, to mitigate some of that variability uh, in organic systems and, and certainly conventional systems as well uh, we see some challenges with with different pest dynamics particularly with armyworms in these systems that tend to impact corn more than soybeans so so that's another consideration as well and whereas soybeans are extremely elastic in respect to being able to achieve high yields even with lower plant populations, um, you know, corn as a crop certainly doesn't share that same trait. So ensuring that we have good stands and good good stand establishment through these these high biomass cover crops through equipment modifications or other strategies is, a, is another challenge that we, we continue to face. Now, this is called a cover crop strategy. So I'm going to ask you this. Is, are there any uh, cover crop topics or news right now that really has you excited? I, I think that there's there's just a continued recognition of of the role that cover crops can play with with respect to soil biology and creating resilient systems that improve soil health, improve nutrient cycling, and ultimately uh, lead to a lessened reliance on input. So you know, whether it's within conventional or organic systems, 
uh, learning how how we can best design cover crop mixtures, how we can best design continued cover crop systems to to meet not only our agronomic goals but the soil health goals that that we have in this agricultural community. I think that there's there's just so much um, learning going on there and cogeneration of knowledge from not only the the research community but the farmer community, uh, the crop consultant community, and the the, the broader um, ag industry. It's it's really exciting to see uh, the the recognition of um, the role of cover crops and, and soil health and and within regenerative agriculture more broadly. And you mentioned you had a a field day coming up this summer. Did you say out at the Arlington Research Plots? Um, you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, when is it? Uh, how can people sign up and what are, what are the benefits of attending a field day event like this? Yeah, so our, our field day is scheduled for August 30th uh, in that field day at the Arlington Agricultural Research Station in Arlington, Wisconsin. We highlight uh, our uh, organic research that is ongoing through the College of Ag and Life Sciences. So uh, we invite farmers and, and industry folks to, to come out and, and see the work we're doing with uh, cover crop-based no-till, interseeding, um, and some other diverse crop production strategies as well. So we will uh, be promoting that a, a bit more as, as the, the summer goes on. But if you're interested, you can certainly look at the uh, Arlington Ag Research Station website and, and get more details. Uh, but we we certainly welcome um, farmers to to come out and, and see what we're doing, and and we also also uh, welcome the uh, input from farmers as well. Um, again, recognizing all the innovation that's that's happening on farms already. Well, Dr. Silva, I really appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Before we let you go, anything else you want to share or, or touch on? Through our work, we've we've seen the benefits of of cover crop based no till and cover crop based management, particularly with with soybeans, um, there's there's some you know, general uh, principles that farmers should follow if they want to adapt these practices to their land. But I certainly encourage farmers to uh, you know, educate themselves and and find uh, you know peers and and other mentors if they they want to you know, try some of these innovative practices on their farms. And once again, thanks to Dr. Silva for joining us. Great conversation there on today's podcast. Before we go, let's thank our sponsor one more time. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil-first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com. Or call 800-356-SEED. And once again, remember, for all things cover crops, head to our website, CoverCropStrategies.com.